because I don't think I'm still quite distanced from that past because what happens, I think that's what one of the issues is that everywhere you go, like all the courses, John West or whatever, you know, um, they all are aimed towards private dentistry. They all are either a private dentist. I mean, I am yet to see a mixed dentist, a dentist who's doing a, in a mixed NHS practice, running a really big courses um, and, and, and promoting that. Uh, I'm sure there are out there, but most of the big names are all private dentists. And that leaves dentists with the illusion that, okay, you know, we can't really do this in, in national health because we don't have the patients cohort and they can do it because they're NH, they're private, you know, they can do whatever they like. This episode is brought to you by Make Me Clear. Now, makemeclear.com is a website I use to make really beautifully presented treatment plans for my patients. So anytime I'm doing a bigger plan, I will use Make Me Clear. You can slot in your photos, your text, all the diagnoses. It's got these visual charts, which are which are nothing like the nasty ones you have on your uh, software that you use at work. These are really easy to understand for the patients with a great way to communicate costs and different phases of treatment. And if you haven't already listened to episode 49 with the founder of Make Me Clear, Dr. George Cardoso, you should definitely check it out and listen to the value it can have for you as a dentist, even if it increases your case acceptance by one patient for the whole year, it's totally worth it. So do check out Make Me Clear. In fact, one of the producerati, Rob Young, had this to say. Rob said, I've started using MMC the other day. It's a game changer for me and my practice. Patients love the report and communicating costs is made so much easier. So guys, check out episode 49. And if you like Make Me Clear, do the 21 day free trial to get 25% off use the coupon code protrusive. So once again, makemeclear.com, coupon code protrusive for 25% off. But see for yourself, do the 21 day free trial, give the treatment plans to your patients and just see for yourself the impact it has to your practice. Hope you enjoy this next episode. Welcome to the Protrusive Dental Podcast, the forward-thinking podcast for dental professionals. Join us as we discuss hot topics in dentistry, clinical tips, continuing education, and adding value to your life and career. With your host, Jazz Gulati. Hello, Petrusrati. I'm Jazz Galati, and welcome to this interference cast on NHS versus private dentistry. Now, it's not what you think. It's not the cats versus dogs sort of fights that you see on social media where NHS dentists and private dentists are going at each other's throats. None of that. It's not happening. Think of this episode as NHS versus private in terms of is it possible to be a comprehensive dentist? on the NHS? Is it possible to practice a high level of dentistry whilst also having an NHS contract? That's the kind of burning question I want to answer today. And to answer that, I've got Dr. Devan Kumar Patel, who is such a brilliant dentist and you'll hear his journey. I mean, he is very much a mixed practice practitioner, if that makes sense. Uh, he has an NHS contract, but the kind of dentistry he does is definitely comprehensive. It's brilliant. So I know that the number one issue or the number one burning problem that uh, NHS dentists have is I want to be able to do more. I want to be able to do better for my patients, but you have that blurred line, that blurred boundary in terms of how can you deliver that care to the patient within the realms of the NHS contract. Now, I know you know what I mean, but for those of you listening from around the world, you probably just listened to this and thought, what the hell is Jazz talking about, right? So guys, this is a, a really an interference cast Predominantly, I think for UK dentists, because we talk about this, um, the way that dentists are remunerated in the UK uh, for those who work in the public health sector, which is the majority, uh, and uh, the way that they experience challenges in terms of giving a high level of care while still being profitable or, or not losing money. I mean, it sounds really bad saying it this way, but this is the truth. I'm probably gonna be, for this reason, making sure that this video is not available on YouTube publicly. This will be an unlisted link so that patients don't come onto this because I'm not I'm not bad-mouthing the NHS. We're just gonna be discussing about how we can do better while still having an NHS contract. So if you're from listening from around the world, I still think you will gain a lot from this episode and you definitely wanna hang around for the Protrusive Dental Pearl, which is a free communication course, uh, but I'll come to that in a moment. But yeah, I think you should hang around because I think this episode does 
give you so much value. Maybe you are working in an insurance-based system or a public health system and you are frustrated, then I think you will learn a lot from how Dr. Devan Kumar Patel was able to speak to his patients in a way and get them on board with the fact that there's only so much he can do within a public setting and, and give them options that are a bit more premium, if you like. So do hang around if you think that will be valuable to you. Petrucerati, boy, do I have a protrusive dental pearl for you. Okay, so this episode, which is by uh, Dr. Devang Patel, he has a website and he's got lots of courses for you to do. One of his courses, which is communication in dentistry, you can get it completely free by doing the following, okay? You need to go to www.protrusive.co.uk forward slash communication DP. The DP stands for Devang Patel. So it's forward slash communication DP. When you sign in there, you will get an email with the link to the course and the secret code to get 100% off the course price. So this is an absolute gift. So thank you so much, uh, Devang Patel, for this amazing protrusive pearl you're sharing with us today. Uh, I've, I've been through a course myself. Uh, I'm actually working through it now. Uh, and it's really well set up, easy to access, bite-sized chunks, everything you want from an online course. So thank you, Devang Patel, for making this available for the Protruserati. And now let's dive into the main part of the episode. Devang Patel, welcome to the Protrusive Dental Podcast. Uh, it's so, so good to have you, my friend. How are you? I'm very well and nice to be here, uh, Jazz. I mean, uh, I, I listen to your podcast really uh, all the time. I drive a lot and really good work, really good work, really good job. Thank you so much. And it's an absolute honor to have uh, clinicians like you listening. Honestly, it really, really uh, bumps up my ego a million times, I guess, when I think, oh my God, these uh, awesome clinicians. Because one thing I was thinking about, uh, and I, you know, we had a little chat beforehand, we we're emailing a little bit about your journey. And I was convinced, I know I recognize this guy. I think he's taught me before. And I remember that in, in Eastman, they were doing these, like what we call the Section 63 or e-wisdom sort of courses. And it was all about, taking uh, beautiful impressions and soft tissue management uh, around uh, taking impressions and stuff. And I, I really think it was you who was doing it. And it, ma it makes sense because your history between 2012 and 2014, you were teaching at the Eastman as well. And, I, and uh, I, so you really rang a bell. And then to learn what you've been up to since then, and uh, it's, it's been brilliant. But today's episode, we're going to be covering a few different things. We're going to be talking a little about your journey because I think it's a very interesting journey. We're going to be talking a little bit uh, about the four pyramids that you, you sort of uh, alluded to in your email, which I think is brilliant, starting from diagnosis and the very last thing being actual the, the treatment and the importance of communication, which I think will be so powerful and useful. And at the end, we'll talk a little bit about a very controversial subject, which is how can you possibly be comprehensive in a, in a mixed practice or a public funded system, uh, aka NHS for those of you in the UK. But before we get there, just should we just start with your uh, journey, Devang? Should we just go into into that? Because I think it's, it's quite special. Yeah, uh, well, thank you. Yeah, um, I think, uh, well, I graduated in 2004 uh, in India and I wanted to do master's. So I did, uh, at that time, IQE um, to enter the UK and to be able to practice. It was a really tough exam. And actually at that time, I, I really first time experienced a nervous patient because I'd never seen a nervous patient in India. Um, <laughs> and um, because they all come in when they're in pain many times, so they're not nervous. Um, but yeah, so I saw a nervous patient. I, I mean, we've gone through that. Then um, when I came here, I realized that I had to pay sort of twice the fees if I want to get into a specialism. Um, so... I worked for six years in NHS practice, doing 99.9% .9 NHS work mm -hmm. until I got my residency, residence uh, sort of uh, status. Um, and then um, I joined, in that six years I was doing, I did a one year sort of a restorative dental practice from Eastman, which I really loved. Uh, I did another few couple of uh, restorative certificates, sort of a one year long courses, MJDF, so I was quite active doing CPDs, but the Eastman sort of rang really uh, resonated with me, their philosophy and, and the way they, they looked into detail things. So I applied for MSc uh, in cons, which was, um, or which is still, I hope, uh, a quite popular course to go to. It's, a one -year it's, it's also known as, were you, were you married at the time? I was. It was a marriage breaker. Yes. It's cool. Well, I, I, I was very tempted, uh, Devang, to, to actually do the conservative dentistry MSc about four years ago. But then um, it was also known as a divorce course. Uh, so then uh, I kind of shied away from that. So it's, it's, it's a tough course. For those who don't know, it is a very intense year. You can tell us more about that. 
Yeah, I was there seven days a week, uh, but my wife was very supportive. I didn't have uh, my son at that time. That was a good thing. Um, I <laughs> really struggled um, uh, because I was there seven days a week, you know, working from seven o'clock till 10 o'clock. So if I basically placed an implant or did any crown prep, I made the crowns for those implants. I made the sort of, a, you know, um, crowns for those simple crowns. I did the mounting. I did 100% of the work. Um, including the casting and everything. So it was a hard work. But And then if you don't do too much laboratory work, you can't do too much clinical work because it's sort of combined. So, yeah, it was a long hours. Uh, but, I, I mean, I, I was – someone posted yesterday on Facebook and it was, you know, it was the best one year of my life, really. So I enjoyed it. Um, and uh, But when I applied, actually, Andrew Croystill, he actually picked up the phone and – it was like all sides. So he talked to the, the course director and it's like, oh, you need to take this guy in. So it's like I applied it and, you know, he just tell, told mm-hmm. her, can you take him in? So I knew that I was in. Otherwise, it was very difficult, competitive to get into the, the course. Is this because of your prior um, study because, at the Eastman? Yes, because I did a certificate at Eastman mm-hmm. and he saw my work and he was impressed with it. And he, he actually suggested for me to do this uh, MSc. So, um, yeah, it was good. So I did for one year and then my ego was really high. You know, I was like, I know everything. Um, <laughs> and applied for like literally 150 jobs. I didn't get any of them. Um, <laughs> because I don't know, probably, uh, uh, because I'm not a specialist. When you come out, you kind of in the middle, you're not a specialist and you're kind of a bit too much for a general dentist. Um, but then I, yeah, so, so I worked in a, couple of prior practices, a uh, couple of days a week. Um, I was at the same time then teaching at Eastman. So that's 2012 to 2014. Um, I was um, um, program director for restorative dental practice, which I did, but I was a pro- uh, sort of a program coordinator for certificate part. And I was also deputy head of ORE for UK. So Whatever I did, I, I sort of flipped aside and I was on the other side of the spectrum. And it was nice to see you know, um, how it feels on to the other side. I'd rather mm-hmm. be on the other side. Though, uh, than I mean, the other side. Oh, I just want to say ORE, for those listening who may not know what ORE is, overseas registration exam. So if yeah. you're coming from a different country uh, to the UK and you want to convert your dental license to a UK one so you can practice in the UK, you have to do an ORE. And actually, um, Devang, a few weeks ago, I, re- I did record uh, with... Um, with a really uh, great dentist uh, who actually is from Syria and he's done his uh, ORE and, and he really shared his experience about, you know, giving tips to people who are, who are looking to do their ORE actually. So that episode will probably come just a few episodes before you. So it's good that you mentioned it. Yeah, it's a tough exam. Um, not just because of the, the quality of the dentistry you expect, uh, which is, I mean, I was, I mean, I was told that we need to expect, you know, what general dentists would can do, not the specialists can do. But the tough is because there's a lot of financial um, burden because I remember when I did my IQE, which was ORE 15 years ago, um, and, uh, you know, it's a lot of outlay for someone for coming from abroad um, to pay from rupees to pound, which is a lot of money. And if you fail, you have to pay again. Um, and that's the, a lot of nervousness comes from, you know, uh, fear of failure, which everyone has. Um, but yeah, so that's, that's a unique exam. But to be honest, that exam and preparation made me better dentist because I was not very good when I finished my graduation. Uh, you know, it's because you, 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 you're quite in a cocoon, aren't you? So you're not really experienced the, the outside world. And all of a sudden you're there and you, you need to really have a communication with patient and, you know, discuss a few things. And, you know, it's not at least in my time, wasn't taught very well. I'm not sure how it is now. But when I came out, all I had was a degree certificate but and some basic knowledge, but nowhere near to start practicing uh, properly. So yeah, IQ prepared me up very well. So coming up, so I was a deputy head for ORE until my son was born, so 2014 August. Um, and then I, I really thought, okay, I'm, you know, I'm not going too much far. I mean, I'm just, I'm just hanging about in, you know, doing couple, two, three days in, in practice, doing teaching. And I didn't have a clear future. So at that time, because I was still had two days free yet, and I couldn't get into prior practices, 
I sold my ego and I applied for mixed practices huh? because the whole point of doing MSc was I wanted to get out of NHS practice. You know, I want to do MSc, do a pro, go a private practice where I'll be really good and I can treat patients really well. So, okay, I sold my pride. And okay. But can I, can I just stop you there? Because I think it's, it's a really great point to just interject there and just ask you for your opinion, right? Because um, back then when I was considering doing the MSc in conservative dentistry, it was also for a reason of to not only enhance my knowledge and skills, but a ticket out of the NHS and into private practice. But you're speaking from experience, and I know you're not the only one. I know you're not the only one who's done the MSc or done a significant program, any MSc in the country, whichever, especially, you know, the Eastman one conservative, and then you're struggling to find the right job. What is that about? So what advice would you give to someone? Maybe you're going to come onto it now with your experience in mixed practice, but who's, yeah, but let's do that. Because um, I think when we chat about NHS and private, I, I really want to highlight a few points. But so basically, I then applied for NHS, sort of a mixed practice job because I, I was tight for cash. Because the thing is, with the MSc, I had a house, so I was paying mortgage. I had no income. And obviously, there's a lot of outlay for a year. Um, to I had I, I really drained all my cash. I had nothing left after I finished my MSc. So I was quite cash tight. And that was one of the reasons I didn't went for specialism because it was three years. So you have to do three years full time and then obviously sit MRD, which is not a problem, but three years funding mortgages without income is a difficult and job. And I truly believe that if you really want to learn, for me at least, I, I'm not a multitasker. So I have to really concentrate on one thing. So, um, so anyway, so that was the reason. Uh, I applied for mixed uh, practice, and uh, fortunately, one of my friend uh, spotted my application, and he said he got me a job. Um, he owned at that time, I think, four. Now he owns sixteen practices, and that's why I work in eight practices of his. Um, but um, so he he um, I started working for him in twenty thirteen, late twenty thirteen, and when I when I son my son was born, I went to him and I said, look. I don't know. I'm, I'm, I mean, I got the skills and I can't really, I'm, I'm doing one full month reconstruction a year. I placed like two implants last year and it's, you know, I'm not going anywhere. And um, he's quite a visionary. Uh, he's, he's, he's an Anshul Pangotra from Alliance Dental. Um, and uh, he told me that, look, you, you, you're putting your foot into too many ships. You need to really concentrate on one thing. So then I quit uh, Eastman teaching, I quit the ORE and started visiting three practices and um, still working under mixed settings. So I was contracted for 6,000 UDAs and uh, a year and it was distributed into three practices and started going around and he taught me a lot of communication skills, uh, a, a really fundamental communication skills Um and he was quite hard uh, on me because he was my friend and he's like a brother to me. So, you know, he would literally shout at me. He's like, how can you do this? And so, you know, I, I, I would take it in because at that time I was like a sponge, you know, I'll take everything in. Um, and I, I feel that I'm, I'm still am. Um, but then it improved. And, you know, I'm at the stage where I'm doing, you know, two, three full mouth construction every month. I'm, it's ongoing. I'm placing around 300 implants a year. So, um, and, and sort of it gradually builds up, but the skills, obviously, yes, I've been, I've invested quite heavily into doing courses. And, you know, I think you were saying that, you know, you go abroad. I mean, I went to San Francisco, so I learned endo from uh, John West, the person who invented. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I, uh, I learned autogenous bone grafting from Curry. So I've done a couple of times his masterclass. I've done sausage technique from Istvan Urban. Uh, I went to Germany to learn a soft tissue augmentation from Otto and Hersler. Amazing. Games. So, you know, I, I mean, you know, the courses, you know, they're like $10,000 a week, uh, you know, but they're all worth it. Are you enjoying the Protrusive Dental Podcast? Well, allow me to deliver you 
even more value. You can now download the iOS or Play Store app for free. Just search Protrusive on your app platform. Now, if you're a true Protrusive and you want to support the podcast, you want to claim CPD for all the listening and watching that you do, you want to get access to exclusive clinical walkthrough videos to make dentistry tangible, as well as a premium newsletter, access to the Protrusive Vault, and the ability to download all the clinical videos and podcast videos so you can view them offline later, you can get all of that for less than 15 tax-deductible dollars per month. So what are you waiting for? Download the Protrusive app now on iOS or Android for absolutely nothing. We work so hard on this Protrusive team, and I know you're just going to love it. Now back to the main episode. So invested a lot of uh, investment, and, and obviously here I am. I mean, still, I'm a general dentist. I'm not a specialist register. Um, I do a lot of stuff, as I was telling you. I mean, there was one day, I remember, and I took a snapshot of the, the day list. Uh, in the morning, I had... Um, I did. I saw a patient for NHS patio and exam. Then I did autogenous bone grafting. Then I did a reroot canal for one of the patient. Then I did <laughs> a composite incisal bonding. Then I did ortho. I had a fixed ortho, so I just changed the, the wires. Um, and I did basically I did almost everything what dentistry involves in one day, and uh, that's what I liked about. 360 degree dentistry. Obviously, I'm now more concentrated, which I like as well, but I felt that that was really good for me to learn everything and then pick what I can do, not because I can't do the other stuff, because I want to really concentrate on one uh, thing and, and start improving on that. Because I also believe, and it's quite contralateral belief, one point I'm saying we should learn everything the other mm-hmm. thing I'm saying, you need to concentrate on one thing. And 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 the reason is it becomes much more system, more efficient if you are doing just one thing. If you're doing everything, it is it it does the efficiency is a tiny bit lost. You, know, you can't streamline things. But yeah, so well, I, I, th- I think what you've uh, achieved is, is is the very reason why I in the end decided not to specialize. I mean, for for a long time, if you ask me a year out of dental school, I was very much looking at and, and and making my CV and application geared towards restorative registrar training so I can become a restorative specialist because at the time I was like, whoa, I want to be a specialist in endo, perio yeah. and pros, right? That was like yeah, the dream. Yeah, yeah. But then um, the more I came across people like, like yourselves, what I call super GPs, uh, Tidu mm-hmm. Manku, Lincoln yeah, Harris, you know, people like, like, like you guys, you're not specialists, but you guys mm-hmm. do such high level dentistry and you guys have invested probably just as much money as someone who, who's going to specialize, but just in, in the private sector. Like you've said, all these amazing people you just named and all the courses you've done. But I also like the fact that you realized that you had to niche down. So you actually found your niche. So if I was to ask you, what are the, what is your niche now compared to a few years ago? Because that, that day list that you said highlights the variety that you could, you could see and treat. But what is your yeah. main niche now, would you say? So I'm mainly doing uh, implant reconstruction. So implants, um, complex um, bone grafting, um, like as I said, autogenous bone grafting, vertical grafting, and a full mouth reconstruction, restorative full mouth reconstructions. Do you do your own endo? Um, if I'm doing a full mouth reconstruction, um, I do do my own endo. Um, hmm. If it's a reroute canal, which is tricky, I can do it if I spend like three, four hours. So, but I refer <laughs> them because I think it's fair for patients, you know, uh, they get a better treatment, quicker treatment mainly. Um, so I refer sort of a complex, uh, reroute canal treatments, but all the normal and first endos I do and, and simple reroute canals I do myself. Yeah. If, if I'm doing a, so I used to accept referrals uh, like four years ago. Uh, that was the whole point of doing John West course, um, for endo. And I used to, you know, just do simply that. But again, um, I think at some point you need to you need to try and streamline. So yes, yeah, so mm-hmm. I do full mouth reconstructions. So if if the patient needs braces, like three pay three of my patient currently needs ortho, and I'm I'm seeing more and more patient needing ortho when when they full mouth reconstruction, uh, because the teeth are not in the position where you want to be, uh, and and you I the heck heck the hell out of them, or just move them. And, you know, just uh, do a minor minimum dentistry. So, so those cases I will do also myself. Um, mm-hmm. I still prefer fixed, but now I'm going into a bit more Invisalign because, uh, because I'm working in eight practice. It, it is 
bit easier to manage, you know, if there's a bracket comes No on. more lost brackets. It's just no uh, one knows actually in, in, in general practice how to stick a bracket in, to be honest. So, um, you know, <laughs> uh, so Invisalign helps that way. Um, but again, if it's a very complex ortho, I would rather refer a patient to orthodontist. The only reason I'm doing things is because it's easy for patient, you know, patient coming to one dentist, there's less lack of problem issue with communication. And I know that I can give patient good results. As soon as I think that there's someone else who can give better results than me, I'll refer. Um, That's amazing. Because, you know, it's, it's, it's best for patient. Brilliant. That, that's a, a, a great little um, background and we covered a lot of themes and, and just your background alone. Um, you touched on your four pyramids before because it sounds a lot like you had a lot of the hand skills and you invested in your hand skills. But the, the, the point at which in your story and your origin story that it really took off is when your friend, your brother, your mentor, if you like, he really um, changed something about your communication skills. And then that's when it sounds like you went from doing one form of full mouth rehab and two implants to doing more of what you wanted to do. So tell us about what you were saying were the four parts of the pyramid, because I think it's a great analogy, uh, and, and mm. where what, what we can learn from that to, to do the kind of dentistry now you're doing. Some, some dentists out there who say, you know what, I, I'm, I'm stuck like you were a few years ago, and so I want to maybe focus more on, on one area of dentistry and do more of it to a high standard. How could you help them? I mean, um, yeah, so the, the four... I mean, I would like to sort of say one thing, like, you know, you've, we've always seen a dentist who do lots of whitening. So another dentist will do lots of Invisalign. Another dentist will do lots of onlays. You know, other dentists will do lots of sort of full mouth reconstruction. How come like the other patients, they only get those kind of patients, you know, it's, it's, it's tricky because like some people will in one practice, someone will do a lot of whitening and another one will do a lot of Invisalign and they doesn't crisscross. And mm -hmm. I think that's because the way we, we want to look at the mouth and not the way we should look at the mouth, you know, because if you're not doing ortho, I can guarantee you that you will miss a lot of patient who needs ortho, adult patient, obviously. Um, if you're not into whitening, you will not feel comfortable or you will not even think about whitening as an option. You know, these are the two most common things people miss, uh, in my experience, at least. Um, but that's, that's a really great viewpoint, Devang, because uh, it's the same thing you see on social media as well. Like, how come this dentist is constantly posting the same treatment over and again? Why is this? Why is everyone in in Leicester, in one practice in Leicester, having so many of these veneers done when the other practice down the road in Leicester is, is just doing yeah. uh, the simple whitening and not doing the, the veneers? It's because of of you, the dentist, and how you see the world. I completely, hundred percent, agree with you. It's, it's, it is like that. And I, I, it took me a long time to realize this, actually, if you were quite ahead of me. Um, but I think, uh, well, that's the reason. And I thought, I, you know, that's why I, I thought, what's the issue? So, so the, quickly, the four uh, pyramids or four sort of pillars of dentistry, I think, is important. Is for, and it, this, this works like this. So the first is diagnosis. The second is treatment planning. Third is communication. Uh, communication and fourth is exec execution of your treatment. Now, communication, you need to think like a roof. So it goes over all those four or three remaining pillar because that's needed for every single step. You know, you can't really just do communication on the communication bit and just forget about the rest of the time. So it's like an overarching thing. And that's why I feel the communication is the most important thing. Uh, we should learn before even we could acquire the, the skill because we can always refer to person who, you know, who can do the treatment, but the patient will get the best. If, if you don't communicate very well, patient will not get the treatment they should deserve and they will just, they will not make a no decision basically. So, um, and also communication is the, the least invested. I mean, how many thousands of pounds you invested in learning communication versus how many thousands of pounds you learn, you sort of spend learning the skills, you know? And mm -hmm. I think communication comes before the execution. Um, so I think that that's, these four pillars are, are really important. You, you're, you're right. And you can't get your patients to, because dentistry, uh, I always think dentistry is for a lot of patients, a stress purchase. It's the same as when your uh, tires in your car, 
they need to be renewed. Who, who, you hate paying for a new tire. You hate paying for a repair in your car. You just want to buy the car. You don't want any problems. You want, run, you want it to run smooth, right? But when something goes wrong, you have to pay a thousand pounds for your tire to get fixed. It's a stress purchase. On a similar scale, dentistry for a lot of people, they crack their tooth. Oh, a thousand pounds a crown. They're like, what? I have to pay a thousand pounds for a crown. Oh, you know, it's a stress purchase. But then when you can actually flip that around and diagnose and communicate so well that they you can make a patient realize that there's so much more they could be having to improve their quality of life their appearance their chewing function all these things and then when they realize actually yeah i want that maserati the ferrari for my mouth because i want it and i want to look after it and i, I know what's involved that's when you can do the more fun dentistry so that's where communi communication comes in you know yeah i mean that's the reason i wasn't doing many full mouth reconstruction because i couldn't communicate to patient even though I think uh, it's not for aesthetic reasons, it's, it's quite functional. However, we have this sort of, um, you know, in, in UK dentistry, we have this, um, it's a, it's, we don't want to promote too much cosmetic. If, you, if you're talking about cosmetic dentistry, you, you kind of, people, you feel that people look, will look at you, your colleagues that, oh, this guy is, you know, doing. But so do the British public. I, I find the British public, you know, the average patient, Mrs. Smith, you know, 61 years old, uh, who's got a class who div two, she's always had it, you know, really yellow teeth, uh, worn chipped edges, missing several teeth. And you, you almost don't want to raise that topic, right? As, as, as a dentist, you don't yeah. want to make them feel bad about their smile because they've, they've lived it for 60 years or whatever. How do you tackle that? I mean, I, I, I got simple advice, take photographs and put it up in a big screen and just do say nothing, just let them see it. And most of the time, like literally 90% of the time when patient looks at their teeth in on the screen, uh, they are like, oh, they are in a bad state. And then now you got open gate and you can start communicating with patients. So photography is. It's one thing which really changed my communication. I really, I mean, um, tell all the practice. So I actually teach, train the associates working in the practices I go as well. So once I finish the day, six o'clock, whatever, um, we discuss cases, uh, you know, because I'm there only once a week or something like that. So we've got cases to discuss. So we discuss cases. But all I tell newcomers is that, you know, start taking photographs you know uh, you can nowadays have a sim card or separate memory on your phone so you don't need to even invest in uh sort of slr cameras you should but that's a big outlay for some of the dentists just buy cheap retractors you know just take some photos connect it to laptop and then you know within a one month within 15 days i think you will be able to purchase slr at the top of the range because you will be communicating you'll be you know, your case acceptance were, will be high. Um, so I think photo, I'm not very good at, I don't think I'm very good at words uh, in that way, in that sense. So photos helps me a lot, uh, you know, so I, I tend to take photos for every single patient I see. Amazing. And I, and I echo that yeah. as well. I think photography, we've said it before as well. It's just a huge thing. And yet you still have dentists who just don't do it. I just don't get it. I just don't get it. Because I think even if you're in an NHS practice, yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, I had, a, I took a bit because the, you're quite right, because I think most of the objections I get from dentists, like, oh, it it's time consuming. So I took a video for me to take full set of photographs in an extra oral, intra oral in three minutes and 40 seconds. Yeah, everything. Um, now, I don't take, uh, you know, when I did general dentistry, I took photographs, but not every single shot for every single patient. Um, I took six basic shots you know the smile photo the retracted uh, view side views occlusals and then take it from there uh, you know you don't need to really go too much you know uh, until patient says yes when patient says yes with the treatment then you can take more photos later on but yeah so i think diagnosis when you if you go through the the pillars the diagnosis again photography is important when you're diagnosing as well because many times i take photos and I tell patient, like, I'll see you one more time because I need to really see this in detail. I want to, I want to sit down and, and, and really think about, you know, what's going on here. Because sometimes when you're really pressured with time, um, you, you really don't want to think on the spot because you, you know, probably not doing justice to patient because you can't really think everything on the spot. So, um, but it's, it's, a, it's a one thing which I think, um, 
is underutilized, as you said, you know, for taking photographs. Amazing. And I think uh, what you refer to there is uh, the treatment planning on the spot, uh, as Zach Cara called it a few episodes ago, shotgun treatment planning. Uh, and it, it's not it's, 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 it's not nice to be in that position. And I, yeah, I, I loved it. I loved when you shared that. And I, I hate it. Like whenever I find someone who's got more than one issue, new patient to practice, uh, and it's, it's a young lady and she's, uh, you know, if it's got one tooth problem, two teeth problem, and generally everything's working, it's so much easier to say, okay, you need this, that and the other, communicate, done. But when they've got multiple issues, you're really, um, you're thinking and the patient's looking at you and you're looking confused and you're like, uh, you're not very sure. You don't sound very confident. It's so much easier and better to say, you know what? There's a lot of things going on here. I need more time. Let's, yeah. let's do this properly for you. Uh, I've talked about already. I don't know if you heard the episode about make me clear to make those treatment reports. I've really yeah. enjoyed doing that uh, as well. So uh, that's when the, the fun and the beauty of it comes in. So you, you touched on, um, the diagnosis. We know about the treatment execution. That's all the courses that we go on, uh, communication being the roof, but really, uh, with that communication one, I, I think you shared a really great tip, tip there. So if you're not already taking photos, that's, that's the place to start, right? Yeah, hundred um, percent. Taking photos are, are the first thing. Even if you don't, if you're not a talkative person, you know you don't talk to patients much or something. At least you take photographs and show it to them. You, they, they will do the most of the work. Patient will do the most of the work. You know, you just point and don't speak, you know? mm-hmm. <laughs> and that will that will help really well. Um, and if you speak few words, you know, it's definitely increase the case acceptance. <laughs> so uh, you know, but I think it's, I cannot really stress enough and. I, I've been banging about photography. I mean, I do teach photography as well at Eastman. I used to teach, um, but you know, I still see it's not really very well incorporated. People are using intraoral cameras a lot now. Um, to be honest, I am never a great fan of intraoral cameras in that sense. I always use SLR because it's just high quality resolution. It doesn't take me that long, uh, to take photos. Um, the only downside is that you need to then manually put it on the system and that takes time, obviously. But um, I think it's a small price to pay for the quality of the photos you mm, get. I agree. I mean, on, on that debate about intro versus DSLR, I mean, I have both. And uh, when I've got Mrs. Smith in for her you know, fifth time seeing her for a checkup every six months and things are good, but there's a cracked tooth and I want to just quickly grab a photo uh, and show her then and there to have a chat. That's uh, invaluable. You don't have to get all the kit out, DSLR, load it, crop it to zoom in. Uh, but for, for most, uh, for all your comprehensive cases, it really depends on me. Is your patient a general patient or are they a, com- what we call, I would call a complete patient basically. And, and that also has a role in whether I'm just using uh, intraoral uh, photography. But most of the time, you're right. There's nothing will beat your, your DSLR photography. Um, I yeah. mean, uh, right now, the intraoral is slightly better because of the AGPs, you know? <laughs> yes. How do you manage to cover the camera? So I've got the plastic bag and all the, the stuff. Uh, but if you have intraoral camera, that's nice to take a mid-treatment photos when you're doing AGP because you don't want to really contaminate stuff. Um, so that's why I think, yeah, it, it has more role now than ever before, uh, into mid treatment. Brilliant. And before we now jump so, onto a uh, private versus interest, anything else you want to mention on the four pillars? I think you, you, you know, you really described it quite nicely. You've, you've given your, your, your biggest communication gem, but is there anything else that you want to touch on that, that you think a, a dentist should know? No, I think, uh, coming back to diagnosis, I think diagnosis, I feel is really important and, um, I think generally dentists under treat patients um, because they're not diagnosing things uh, very well. Uh, not their fault. It's just that uh, it's not very well taught um, as far as I can see, because I can only give my reflection from the new graduate who come and join us and their skills uh, of the teaching level, because I don't know how the, the teaching level of the country is. But yeah, diagnosis is difficult and main reasons. So some of them are, I, we discussed where is one of the main thing people don't diagnose very well. Uh, if they do, they don't do anything about it. They just write down generalized where and that's it. <laughs> Full stop or maybe give mouth care. Um, crowding is another thing. Uh, diagnosing issues. Then, um, crackling you were mentioning, um, you know, amalgam crackling, but there are controversies, you know, um, and I don't want to get into, I know you, you, you really love talking about the crack tea. Um, but, you know, um, but I think when to treat, when not to treat, um, for me, it's pretty simple. I would treat it, um, because you, you and I'll obviously tell patient, give both options, 
but if you don't um i don't want to be in the in the ship where the hole can appear anytime and it will sink you know i would rather put an extra layer of of a resin or something to protect myself you know so so i think uh, that's another thing the other thing uh, people well diagnose which is blatantly obvious which is edentulism you know people have edentulous spaces but i've seen a lot of patients who haven't talked dentists haven't talked about implant the the potential risk of teeth movement when they take the teeth out and i think this all needs to be discussed before even you take the tooth out you know to the patient because i think it is uh it's just that some of the sort of a legal firms need to find out the loophole and it's a, it's a disaster waiting to happen where patient will come to you and and say you know why didn't you tell me about the teeth movement when you took the teeth out my teeth have moved now you know i need implants and you pay for it mm -hmm. um i had a patient actually sued the dentist for 15 year old tooth removal so the tooth was taken out 15 years ago and everything were collapsed. So two molars were taken out on both sides. The teeth were collapsed. The super eruption happened. And I said, well, you know what? I mean, she had otherwise good teeth. And I said, well, um, if you want to treat this space because there's a collapsed bite and everything, uh, we're probably looking at um, orthodontic treat movement on the uppers, move them, and then, you know, potentially realign, trim them and, you know, reshape them. And it was a lot of treatment and the lower needed bone grafting or tuginous bone grafting. So the bill was coming into, you know, 20,000, 30,000 or something. And she wasn't very happy that she wasn't told by subsequent dentists for 15 years, the effect of teeth movement. Mm -hmm. um, she didn't get anything for it. Um, but for her, it was more like a, a moral issue rather than she wasn't in for her money. I told her from the beginning that, look, you're not going to get anything out of it. And she knows, she said, I know. But I think dentists should be aware of this. Very um, fair point. To tell. So that's, that's I think, um, regarding the diagnosis. With the treatment planning, again, if you haven't diagnosed, you can't go to the next step. You know, if you haven't even diagnosed the wear, how are you going to plan the treatment? And when it comes to planning treatment, I think most of the dentists are, many times they feel that it's their fault that the, the patient's dentition is messed up, you know, and they, they take it personally um, and feel fearful. Again, I'm talking about purely my experience from the dentist I teach. So I'm not talking about the general dentist, everyone. Um, but they're fearful of, you know, telling patient that it's going to cost tens of thousands of pounds to fix it. Um, and also the main fear they have is... Um, that if they tell patient that you're going to need 10 fillings, what if patient says, yeah, do all them on the NHS? <laughs> <laughs> so because, because all of the practice I visit, they're all mixed practices, right? So you could point out 10 things which have gone wrong and say you need 10 crowns and the, 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 the patient might say, okay, do it on the NHS. <laughs> Let's do it. Yeah, absolutely. It's, 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 a, it's a bargain. Why not? Exactly. That, that's why, you know, one thing we're going to talk about is how can you be comprehensive as an NHS dentist because there's a, and, and I don't want to get into it too much now because there's a few points I want to raise based on some really key facts you said there. I think some people, some really good dentists listening right, right now, I think they'll, they'll need to look back at their notes template, right? Uh, for the examination oh, yeah. or their custom screen, whatever they use. Do they have a section there for diagnoses? I bet a huge percentage, a significant percentage of uh, dentists will not have a area to write your diagnoses. So I think it, it yeah. for the most simple step, like think of the, the micro step that you could do after listening to what you said there to be able to diagnose more is just simply having a box that says diagnoses. Because once you have a box called diagnoses, yeah. then you can write your gingivitis. Then you can write your recession. Then you can write your missing lower right six, upper left two, upper left seven. Then you can write um, hairline cracks. Then you can write attrition mm -hmm. and erosion. If you don't have that box, where are you going to write it? And then it gets missed and it doesn't get done. And so it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a vicious circle, right? Um, but the other thing I want to yeah. ask you, uh, Devang, is you're a very comprehensive dentist. We can tell that because you're, you know, you're diagnosing very thoroughly and you're not afraid to tell the patient how it is. Like, okay, this is what you need and it might, it might cost a lot of money. But 
I'm sure you're, you have two reactions from patients to, to you because if they've seen dentists before you who are not as comprehensive, A, they're going to be like, wow, you're so thorough. I bet you get that a lot. And 100%. Mm, yeah. uh, th thankfully, it's something that I, I get as well. And I'm, I, I'm proud when the people say that. I don't think that, oh, it's because other dentists haven't said that. It's because I'm trying to be as comprehensive as possible. Yeah. But B, this is the thing I get challenged with, right? Is that the next question they're going to ask you is, a, why had no one else ever told me about this? And then the other thing with that is that now when you present this suddenly big treatment plan, there are some patients who think, hang on a minute, this, patient, this dentist is, is trying to fleece me here, right? No other dentist ever told me this. This dentist is telling me all these things. This dentist is going after my money. How can you go over that? Um, yeah, I'll just quick one on the, you know, the, you're saying about the diagnosis thing. What I, I, what I, because not everyone has exact, I don't know what system to use because the exact is quite nice to write it down. What, what I advised every pay, dentist is have a, like a sticky note and write down all the treatment, like, um, rare whitening ortho on the side of the computer and make sure that you checklist all of that in patient's mouth. So make sure patient, have, has the patient got rare, has got this, does patient need whitening? Does, so if you have all the checklist, there's less likely that you will miss anything. Um, so I think checklist works really well and, and the dentist who've used it, not everyone says what I do, uh, do what I say basically, but, um, but someone, people who have used it, uh, they all are quite impressed. So coming back to your question, um, regarding, you know, again, I, I get that a lot that, you know, patients are like, you know, you're very thorough dentist, even though some most many times, even if they don't go ahead with the treatment, they appreciate the fact that you've taken time, you explain them everything. And I think if you show patient photographs, again, I know I'm banging on the photographs, but if you show patient photographs, like if there's a cracked tooth, and if you show a patient a crack, they can't argue, can they? They can't say, oh, there is no crack. Now, once you've done that, you, I'm giving them option from nothing or do nothing to do everything. So I am discussing option with patients, all the options. So there is no way the patient can feel that, you know, um, I had been given, you know, this big plan because dentist wants to make money out of me. I actually had a patient. I had a, it's an interesting story. So I so yesterday I saw a couple, uh, two weeks ago, I saw a couple, both were uh, referred to me for consultation, implant consultation. So I saw husband first and he had a four, uh, lower anterior mobile, um, which was patched up for a long time. Uh, but the other teeth weren't in great condition. So I had a chat with him, I, you know, come, I gathered what he wanted. And I said, look, for what you want, implant is not the best thing for you. Go to your general dentist, have these four teeth extracted, have a nice chrome made up, and you can add the teeth in the chrome uh, because I cannot place implant where the other teeth are not doing really great. But you can have a denture because they're not terribly bad and they might, you might be able to hang on to them. And then the next patient was his wife, and I just presented to her yesterday around £42,000 treatment plan. And they both were sitting with me, and, you know, they were like, oh, that's, that's a lot of money. But then I told them that, look, husband, that you came to me for implant, and I think it wasn't appropriate for you. Now, what I'm telling her is appropriate for her. And, I mean, that resonated, they understood, but, I mean, before even I spoke to them. So I think if you're genuine... Mm -hmm then they, I, you don't get that, that, you know, you, you always get from people that, oh, it's a lot of money because it is many times, uh, the treatment I do. Uh, but you don't, I don't generally get that I'm after their money because um, the communication, because I've shown them the photographs. Do you know when I used to get that is earlier in my career when I never took photographs mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and I literally presented full mouth reconstruction cases. I only start taking photographs after patients said yes, okay, for my record keeping and all the, you know. So before patients said yes, I didn't take photographs. I just explained it to them. And I used to get patients like, I came for NHS checkup and now I'm going out with 10,000 pounds bill. And, you know, this is a rubbish and all that. So I used to get that a lot. Uh, but since I've started taking photographs and explaining them, even though I'm taking the same amount of time, probably less, um, I don't get that. Amazing.
Brilliant, but both points a comprehensive answer there, which leads us to for the for the very saucy part of of this episode, where we're going to try and extract from you a few gems in terms of if you're working in a what we call in the UK a mixed practice. So there is a public funded element and a and a private funded element, uh, and you know I don't want to get too much into the UK politics because there is an international audience here. Uh, but I think the lessons we can learn, you know, it can apply anywhere in the world. Because in the US, you have the insurance-based systems, which there are issues with that as well. Uh, anywhere in the world, any system is always going to have its downside. So in the UK, we have a system whereby you cannot be comprehensive because you do not get fairly remunerated for being comprehensive. So what advice can you give uh, Devang to a dentist who wants to do more comprehensive dentistry, but they are in a um, run-of-the-mill, busy, predominantly NHS practice? As I said before, I think we were chatting and I don't like to get into controversies. Um, so I really stay away from it. And you love, uh, you, you know, you say you don't mind it. Um, so there's a disclaimer that, you know, I'm not an expert into doing that or whatever advising I'm advising right now. Uh, but what I can tell you is I can share my experience. Sure. Okay. So I, I did a mixed, uh, I worked in a mixed practice until 2018. Okay, so pretty recently, early 2018, so still sort of three years maybe ago. And um, I, as I said, I had a 6,000 UDA target um, that used to pay for my lab fees because I used to do a lot of implants and a lot of other work. Um, so my um, regimen, I'll share what I did for my normal diary because I don't think I'm still quite distanced from that past because what happens, I think that's what the, one of the issues is that everywhere you go, like all the courses, John West or whatever, you know, um, they all are aimed towards private dentistry. They all are either a private dentist. I mean, I am yet to see a mixed dentist, a dentist who's doing a, in a mixed NHS practice, running a really big courses um, and, and, and promoting that. Uh, I'm sure there are out there, but most of the big names are all private dentists. And that leaves dentists with the illusion that, okay, you know, we can't really do this in, in national health because we don't have the patients cohort and they can do it because they're NH, they're private, you know, they can do whatever they like. And I had that as well, but I, I've proven that wrong in eight different areas. So I've proven that wrong. I've worked in Hertfordshire. I've worked in Devon. Uh, I've worked in, you know, Bournemouth. So. I've proven that because I had this limited mindset that um, that mixed practice you can only do good private in certain areas, you know, where you have really that's more affluent areas, but perhaps exactly. However, it's other way around. The more affluent areas, patient teeth are very well maintained, so there's not much work to do. Whereas if it's less affluent, patient and desperate need to do have the treatment done, so they will have you know the best treatment. And if you explain properly. So you'll have more work. So I have more work in the practices where, which is in the less affluent areas because patients ignored their teeth and, you know, they didn't have funding. Now they have funding and they want to sort it out. So coming back to my schedule. So I used to have um, 6,000 UDAs. I did work long days. So I worked um, many times eight till eight um, or eight till six because I worked in three practices at that time doing NHS. Uh, or mixed. Um, and my checkups used to be 25 minutes. So uh, no less, sometimes 30 minutes. If it's a new patient, then 30 minutes. Otherwise, regular patient, 25 minutes. In that time, I used to take photographs, radiographs, explain the treatment. If patient wants NHS, you know, MOD or occlusal, I'll do it then and then, uh, amalgam. So, you know, it doesn't really take that long to do amalgam. Um, and to be honest, uh, yes, you can carve the mangum really beautifully, but it's still going to be black. Okay, so it's, um, <laughs> it's not going to turn white if you carve them. I still carve them because you know it's, it's my ego. You know, you really like to make them look like it's just for me. Patient looks at it and they think it's it's sort of a sort of a metal filling, right? So, Absolutely. so it doesn't take that long. So I used to do twenty five minutes. That now, if I've taken photographs and if I think, as you say, that. Um, patient needs comprehensive treatment, I would tell the patient that, look, this is, uh, you need more than just a general dentistry. Um, so come back. And I used to see them in lunchtime. Um, I'm, I'm quite renowned for not taking lunch breaks. Um, so I used to see patient for a chat so the nurse can have a lunch and I'll just have a chat with them. 
um, and I'll have, I'll show them everything. And I'll go through all the NHS and private options. So, and I never told patient that the NHS is substandard because I think if you have committed to do NHS dentistry, um, you know, you have obligation to give patient a fair, good treatment. So all my root canal, NHS or private, were to the apex. You know, if it's not to the apex, it's not to the apex. It's not because it's NHS or private. So, you know, you don't have a, a card just because you're doing NHS treatment to do a rubbish job. Um, and I strongly feel about that. Um, and my nurses used to tell me that, you know, your patients are getting private treatment at NHS, which I, which, because I like to, I like to sleep at night. You know, I like to make mm -hmm. sure that it's good for patients. With, with root canal, uh, Devang, I've just found with, with endodontics, I found that the more you learn, the more courses you do, the more you invest, you can't unsee it. You can't unlearn it. You can't. Yeah. Then ignore the, M the fact that MB2 is right there. 100%. No matter how you get removed, you can't not yeah. use your 17% um, EDTA. You can't not do it. Yeah. So uh, the only difference I used to tell patients is I used to do um, backfill. So I used to do, um, you know, backfill obturation for uh, private patients and use ProTaper Gold files versus the standard rotary files um, and electro condensation for uh, NHS patients. Um, but that, that's about it. The rest, the material was the only difference. This, the skill stays the same, you know. I need to negotiate, I need to negotiate the canal. Um, so when patient comes to me, initially I had that issue where, okay, patient's coming. Now patient's got number of cracked teeth. Um, and if I tell patient, you're going to need onlays for all those teeth. Patient might come back to me and say, look, do it under national health. You know, why are you doing, well, I don't want to spend privately. And that limited me even discussing with patients, unfortunately, um, you know, all that thing, because I was scared if patient tells me do 10 crowns, um, you know, I will be ripped off basically. Mm -hmm, <laughs> you, know? mm -hmm. you might as well um, work in Tesco's. I have actually done uh, in a couple of patients, four crowns. Uh, um, and I've done four root canals and, um, I've done lots of fillings in some of the patients, but they are a handful. You know, I would say those three to 5% of the patient which sits in your head and, you know, just keep talking to you, not the 95% which are, you know, you're successful. Um, but uh, that prevented me. Once I got that out of it, I had one patient where I had to do the work and I thought, you know what? It's not that bad, you know. Okay, yes, I lost money on them, but I'm making it in doing cervical, you know, fillings. You know, sometimes you do cervical abrasion filling and you get three UDAs and, you know, it doesn't take you that long. So you swings, it swings it and roundabouts. <laughs> yeah, you, you even it out. Um, but, um, if you, if you explain patient properly that look, this is, if it's a full mouth reconstruction, it's pretty easy. You, you tell patient that this is out of general dental practitioner's remit. I strongly feel that the fact that you invested thousands of pounds into learning something which NHS doesn't fund, you shouldn't provide that kind of treatment under national health because it's not your obligation to, to provide advanced care. And I was quite strong to the patient as well. I tell patient that, look, I'm, I can do everything. I can do implants. I can do autogenous bone grafting. NHS doesn't include that. What NHS will include is a basic dentistry to keep your mouth going, to keep it stable. Um, and this is very common known fact in, in medicine. You know, if you go to hospital, if you go to GP, they're quite open and upfront about NHS funding, that this is not funded by NHS, but for somehow NHS dentists are under illusion or given the illusion by whoever sets the rules that everything is available in the NHS minus the implant. And that's why it's easy for me, you know, when, when I'm doing implant, there's no discussion. Mm -hmm. But I think dentists forget that we are in a, in, in a business, you know, we, at the end of the day, it's a dentistry, it's a health business. Um, but it's a, there's an ethical and moral dilemma. You know, you don't want to, you know, over treat or do something to the patient just to make money, but you have to strike a balance and you need to communicate that with patients. So I used to tell patients like, look, I can do a really nice crown for you. My technician charges, I mean, I used to use a technician from Italy. So if my technician charges 280 euros, and if I'm paying, you're paying me 260 pounds, 
um, you know, I, I cannot make money in this thing. So I'll have to use the normal technician who I can afford to use um, to do your treatment. He doesn't do a bad job, but obviously that's the difference. And with the posterior teeth, um, you know, amalgams and, and uh, metal, uh, sort of a, uh, non-precious or uh, precious crowns, you know, the white crowns, you can justify that is for cosmetic reasons for posterity. Um, and if patient asks why, you, you just ask them, why do you want white teeth for the crown the back? You know? and if, if patient says cosmetic reasons, then mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Says, you know, it's not available for cosmetic reasons. Protection is the same. Um, so, so I think, so that's what I used to do. So when I explained patient full mouth reconstruction, I used to tell them that we don't have a contract from NHS to do advanced mandatory treatment. We don't get funded. Um, if you want, I can refer you to hospital by all, all means, um, and then see, um, what they can do. Um, or I can provide you that treatment privately here. So. So there is, there is a clear distinct line. There are some areas like root canal, which is one of the big thing, uh, private NHS, you know, I never could, um, you know, convince that many patients to do private root canal because I couldn't tell them that, you know, I'm going to do a rubbish job at, uh, you know, NHS root canal. And I never did. The only used to, I used to tell them the material I use, the more expensive. And obviously I can't afford to use it in the national health if I'm using, you know, I'm getting paid whatever, 50, 60 quid. Um, and the other issues is obviously the correct teeth, you know, when to intervene, what to do and, um, you know, communicating that with patient, but it's really communication, a frank communication with patient telling them that we have limited funding in that sense that what NHS can fund, NHS won't be able to fund your full mouth reconstruction of a really nice smile. It will give you good treatment so that it keeps ticking, you know. Uh, it, it's good to keep you alive, basically. <laughs> so, um, so that's, but you need to have that conversation with patient. That's uh, amazing. I mean, that's probably the, the and I'm, I'm being very honest here. That's probably the best explanation because I always found it very difficult to, to have that, uh, conversation, even with dentists, like different dentists do it differently. Uh, Devang, you know, the, the different dentists have their own theories of, uh, and, 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 and let's be honest, the way you do it is your, is the way you saw the world. And it's, it's, it's a way yeah. that you made it work. Not, not, not in terms of just your interest, but in, in, in the patient's interest as well. So they were able to choose the, the superior option that will, um, you know, might be more complex as well. So I, I think every dentist does it differently. And this is because every dentist learned to do it differently because there's no unified guidance. I mean, the only guidance there is, is from the people high up who say, there's no difference. NHS is awesome. Uh, you know, everything's included. And that's, that's, that, that's, a, that's, that, that's a pipe dream. So uh, I, I really like the fact that you shared that with us all. I think, I think hundreds, of th if not thousands of, of, um, dentists in the public system will listen to this and say, you know what, I could do things a bit better. I could spend a bit more time to explain things a bit better, take photos, uh, and hopefully they will get better results because yes, we're working in a suboptimal system and I hope no one takes offense in saying that. I think we can all take, raise our hand and say, okay, it's not perfect. Let's, let's agree to that. Okay. But if we can take a few, um, leaves from your, 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 your book, uh, and, and, and read, uh, be able to apply things in a better way, then that's amazing. So Devang, thank you so much for, for, for sharing a very diverse, uh, your, your journey and education to, to, to these, right, to the, you know, the four pillars, if you like. And at the end there, just giving us a very, from the heart, from your hands, from your experience, how you've communicated with different patients, how you can help your patients to understand that there is a difference between complex dentistry and what is maybe uh, possible under the NHS. Um, any closing comments, uh, Devan? No, I, I mean, I'm glad to be, I mean, as I said, thanks for, thanks for inviting me to be honest, uh, to share my experience. Um, the only thing I would say is that, you know, the four pillars, which I said, invest equally in all of them, uh, make sure you have a diagnosed then treatment plan. Even if you can't execute that treatment, I think you should treatment plan as if you can, and then refer pa patients to the to the dentist who can execute, but don't stop there. I think you need to then learn from that dentist how to do it. So, you know, you can start doing it. And I'm 
100% sure that whoever you're referring cases to, they will be more than happy to teach you or that, you know, shadow you the case you're doing. So, you know, go there and, and have, a, have a look at them. Communication, as I said, is a big thing, um, which changed my perspective. And that's why I can really have that frank NHS private discussion because I'll build that rapport with patient. You know, you can't just go and discuss that kind of thing with patient out of front. You build a rapport. Patient knows you very well. You know the patient and you can set the tone up as to how you are going to communicate. You know, you choose your word carefully because everyone thinks if you say, say the same word, they will think different things about that word, you know. So you have to be very specific as to what word you're choosing. And then, of course, uh, executions of your treatment. So, you know, learn all the skills, which I think dentists are generally good at doing or good at improving. It's the fourth pillar, but the other three comes first. That's the whole point. Um, thanks so much. And a yeah, shout out to uh, Rishi, Rishi, uh, Joshi. Thanks so much for helping uh, this happen. I really appreciate you, buddy. Thanks so much. Well, there we have it. I hope you enjoyed with Dr. Devang Patel. As always, I really appreciate you listening all the way to the end. Now, listen, if you have a colleague who you think will benefit from this episode, because maybe it meant a lot to you, maybe it's got you thinking a little bit differently in terms of how you can do things differently on Monday morning with your patients, and you think that this has helped you, surely this could help another one of your colleagues. So please send them, WhatsApp them, email them, uh, print them uh, this episode, show them how they can listen and, and learn from Dr. Devang Patel as well. And I'm sure they will really benefit and thank you for that. So thanks again for listening and back to straight parole now on the orthodontic episodes. The website is protrusive.co.uk forward slash communication DP for the free communication course by Dr. Devang Patel. Check it out. And thanks again for listening as always.